This episode of the Fit Cookie Nutrition Podcast is brought to you by Koros Global. Visit the link in the show notes or use code FITCOOKINUTRITION at checkout to get any free accessory with any purchase of your Koros product. All right, everybody, as requested, we are going to do, and by we, I mean, it's just me, (laughs) just Holly today. We are going to do a little recap of my experience at the Wine Glass Marathon, which I just ran this past October 2021, was my sixth marathon experience. And I want to recap first, you know, kind of what my training looked like (laughs) leading up to the race. I know for those of you who maybe follow me on social media, you might have seen me post some runs or some, you know, some anecdotes of training, but I know I definitely didn't get into the whole thing as a whole. And I would like to do that here on this podcast because I think on social media, we often see people's training cycles as a highlight reel. We see, you know, the awesome speed workouts that they do. We see the sexy, fast, you know, paces that they're running, the smiles on their faces, the tight shorts, you know, we see all the good stuff. And we think, wow, you know, training's just so easy for them. Like, I'm having trouble, you know, what's wrong with me. (laughs) Um, And I want to bring some realness to this episode, because, and let me tell you, there's going to be there's going to be TMI in this episode, but hopefully you're okay with that, since that's what everyone seems to have requested. Um, But essentially, no one's training cycle is perfect. It's very rare that someone training for especially a marathon distance where, you know, your long runs are just going to be so long, and you're going to take several months to train for this distance. It's very rare that someone has a perfect training cycle where everything goes perfect. You don't get hurt at all. You feel great the whole time and race day goes really well too. And you smash your goal. Like that happens. That's like a once in a lifetime experience. Now there's certain things that you'll hear me talk about that we can implement in order to have a better experience in our training. If you're constantly in a pattern of getting injured, if you're constantly in a pattern of not meeting your goals or being sick, then, you know, we definitely maybe need to change something. So you'll hear me talk a little bit about that in reflection today, since I've done six of these marathon things now. So I'm starting to get the hang of it. Although I will say it's a bit of a beast to conquer. So Let's flash back a little bit to my training. So we, uh, to go way back, we, my husband and I moved back to New Hampshire in May of 2021 uh, from North Carolina. So that's kind of where I wanted to start here a little bit for my October marathon. We, you know, I took like two weeks off of running when we moved just so that I could be in one piece in order to, you know, move all of our stuff. Our house needed quite a bit of work, um, and I wanted to take some time to paint and, you know, do some manual labor around the house. So I was exhausted, and I didn't even want to run. So I didn't for, I think it was one to two weeks, um, and then I started to ease back into it. Um, And then, you know, I thought, all right, I think I want to do a fall marathon. I think I want to do something probably earlier October because we are going to have a lot of weddings and just other commitments later in the year. I wanted to be cognizant of the Boston Marathon application cutoff and do something earlier in the fall so that if I did qualify, I could maybe use that time for 2022 um, for the Boston Marathon. That was one of my goals. Um, And also, you know, I didn't want to, I didn't really want to, um, you know, like, I don't know. I didn't want that to be my only goal. So I'll talk about that too. 
Um, but essentially, I we landed on the Wine Glass Marathon in Corning, New York, which was October 3rd, which is super easy to remember if you've seen Mean Girls. It's October 3rd. Um, so essentially, we had booked a trip to Colorado in June of 2021. So I knew that, you know, I wanted to be able to hike and do all the fun things um, in Colorado without having to worry about marathon training. So I figured, you know, uh, once we got back from that trip um, and also caught up on our, you know, um, being fully vaccinated and going through just any symptoms from that, you know, I wanted to make sure that I was in a good spot to start training. So I probably started training for wine glass um, closer to like the beginning of July, like end of June, beginning of July. Um, again, if you've been following me for a while, you'll also know that we traveled for four weeks in July. Um, we were not home for four whole weeks. So I also knew that, you know, I was really just going to take it week by week with this training. And if the wheels came off, I really wasn't married to the idea of a fall marathon. Like I was okay with pushing it to the winter or even the spring of the following year, um, because I knew that we just had so many other commitments and that the body can only take so much stress. So that's kind of how part of my planning process went. So I think I left about 16 weeks or so for a formal training plan. Um, I followed kind of a combination of my intermediate or advanced marathon training plans, which are available for purchase on my website, fitcookienutrition.com slash products. So if you're interested in the plan and you want to do what I did, essentially, you can go look at one of those and see which one's more fitting. Um, so I followed kind of a combo of those plans um, throughout the 16 weeks. I had a pretty decent, um, like just base mileage of around 25 to 35 miles per week um, leading into the training cycle with pretty much all like easy miles um, with some hills maybe thrown in there. So picking up that training um, around the same amount of mileage and then starting to add in some hills or, you know, baby speed work. Um, that just kind of made the most sense for me to transition right into that. And honestly, it's pretty similar to how I've trained for my past um, two marathons. Um, I've been in a similar similar spot, just fine tuning some of the training and peaks and different ways that I do things such as like adding tempo miles into my long runs instead of only doing them on, you know, weekdays or doing more long runs. Um, so doing a couple that were in that 245 to three hour mark, um, doing that a couple of times instead of just once or twice, putting in uh, faster pace work on the off season when I'm not training for a marathon and staying healthy that way and trying to keep my baseline improving. And of course, implementing specific strength workout to address any weaknesses. So that's kind of what my training looked like. Um, and I definitely felt, you know, I felt really good going into this training cycle. I had done quite a bit of strength training, like three days a week. Um, probably the most consistent I've ever been with strength training um, earlier in 2021 in spring. I had some good base miles. I actually did a lot of tempo efforts with our run club for some of our long runs. I did some trail running. So I just felt like a pretty well-rounded version of myself uh, going into this training cycle more so than I have in the past. Um, so Going into it here with my schedule, with traveling, what was going to be cohesive, you know, I figured that these training plans I picked would be the probably the best for me where I peaked out around, I think I peaked out at 52 or 53 miles per week in my longest peak week, um, which honestly is a little bit higher than maybe I've done in the past or pretty close to what I would typically do. Um, but I will say the consistency that I was able to implement throughout this training cycle 
was probably the best I've ever done. Um, aside from maybe my second marathon, that was also a very good training cycle. Um, I did not, you know, that being said, it's not like I didn't have bumps (laughs) along the way. So let's talk about some of those. So I kind of forgot about this, but looking back in my training journal, which I keep, I just, you know, keep a Google doc of my training. Um, I would kind of keep the training plan in there and then I would write down or type in what I actually did um, because I didn't, you know, always do the exact same paces or the exact same workout or I just switched days around, whatever. But looking back at my journal, I did have a little bit of like perennial tendonitis, um, not tendonitis even, just I had some, I had something that was going to turn into something (laughs) essentially in that area pretty early on in my training, probably around like the time I was adding in a bit more hill work. Um, and you know, I really wasn't doing anything out of the ordinary. I attribute this to standing actually on a hardwood floor all day in our new house. Um, we had had carpets up until this moment. Um, so I was like, you know, I probably should get a mat to stand on. I should probably wear my shoes. Like I should probably, just take care of myself a little bit better because there was a lot of just standing on the hardwood floor in like non-supportive shoes because that's what I was trying to paint in, you know, and you always paint in shoes that you don't really like (laughs) because they're going to get paint on them. So I did have a little bit of that going into training um, that I was able to correct pretty quickly. Um, I didn't have to adjust my training plan, but I did add in some exercises to do to help with my ankle mobility and my ankle strength and, you know, foot strength as well. And honestly, that probably lasted for like two to three weeks, very mildly, never got worse. And I felt like I really nipped it in the butt and it, it's fine. It's still fine. So that was probably the first thing that came up. Um, the second thing that came up that I was not thrilled about was, um, some hamstring, uh, crankiness, we'll call it. I don't know that it was ever, like a full high hamstring, high hamstring tendonitis, which I've had before. So I, I did not feel that it was that bad. I never pulled my hamstring or anything like that. But I did a speed workout. I did, I think it was eight by 800 meter repeats, um, which I did. I just, I crushed the workout. It was just a workout that I was like, oh my gosh, that went so well. Like I, that was just such a confidence booster. Um, and I, and I felt zero pain during the workout. I felt totally fine during the entire workout. Um, I even took like walk recoveries between my intervals just to be thorough. Um, and I definitely didn't like push myself during the workout. Like I stayed very much within my capabilities, um, which is something that I've gotten a lot better at over the past two years. And by the end of the day, I was starting to feel what similarly to what I felt in the past in my left hamstring. And I was thinking, is this going to turn into something like, Cause I can't believe this, you know, I just had a great workout. What the heck was it too much too soon? Did I do something wrong? And I think really I had done a little bit of strength training, um, you know, close to that workout. And I think I was maybe just a little stiff from it, a little sore, even though, again, I didn't really feel it during the workout at all. Um, and I, even though I properly warmed up and properly cooled down and everything, and I thought, you know, maybe it was just like a little bit too much. Um, so let me take this really seriously. I went and got some body work done, some cold laser therapy and started like my PT exercises that I had from the last time this happened, like right away, instead of doing all the wrong things first, which is what I did last time and did like all the wrong things first for this particular injury. And it made, it made it so much worse. Um, 
So doing everything correctly this time and just taking it really seriously immediately, um, again, really seemed to keep me in a good place. So much better place than last time. So I basically was able to, I think I, I think I cut out one tempo run and I reduced my mileage on one of my runs and that was it. Those were the only adjustments that I really had to make. And I made a promise, you know, to myself to just keep, just keep, you know, listening to my body and keep myself honest and not push through anything. Um, so between, you know, some rehab for that, some treatment for that. And I also am a big fan of KT tape for supporting very mild strains. Again, not as a sole treatment, but just as a tool. So between all that, I was able to pretty much chug along. Um, at one point too, actually during like my peak weeks of training, my right hamstring also got cranky, which I was not super thrilled with. At that point, my left one was totally fine. So I kind of figured maybe there was, again, even though I didn't notice this at all, my body's telling me something. Maybe there was some compensation happening. I don't know. <laughs> um, so, you know, I kind of did the same thing on the right side. And again, totally nipped it in the bud. Like by a peak week of training and into my taper, my hamstrings were totally fine. Like they were totally happy. I was able to, you know, improve on my exercises to rehab them. I was able to add weight and like do more um, and do more complex things. So I was like, cool. Like, thank goodness, you know, kind of coming out of this unscathed, can't believe it, you know, always a blessing to make it through training pretty unscathed. Um, and I also want to mention too, I also halfway through traveling in July, which is around the time where, you know, that half marathon training type work started to become closer to marathon training type work, like my, you know, two hour long runs were turning into two and a half hour long runs and things were starting to get real. Basically, um, right around that time I got sick. So I caught a cold that I'd gotten from a friend, um, whose house we were staying at and I got sick. So it was mostly a sinus infection, head cold. And again, you know, I was able to not really have to change my training that much. I changed the intensity and scaled way back. Um, I never had a fever. It never really went like into my chest or down my throat or anything like that. I think I took an extra rest day or two. Um, and you know, I, I was, I was still not feeling a hundred percent probably the next week. I got sick like on my birthday that week. I was like, whatever, it's a cutback week of training. I'm just going to try and recover from being sick. And then the following week, I think I was, I was, I had like a lingering cough. It was like a dry cough. It wasn't productive. And I think I might've cut back on, I don't think I did like any intensity that week. I think I just did the mileage and I was totally fine. Um, and by the time I got back, by the time we actually stopped traveling, I was like, fine. Um, so that was another thing too. Again. So like, I'm saying, hey, this is a really great training cycle. I was super consistent. Like I did pretty much everything that I needed to do. And then some, I followed the plan pretty closely to a T compared to how previous training cycles have gone. And I'm telling you that I've had things come up that I was sick. Like, you know, in the moment, we always think it's the end of the world and we don't really know what's going to happen. But if you're just smart <laughs> about managing these things, you're probably going to be fine. You know, you're probably going to be able to continue with training as long as you have your people that you can go to immediately if something's wrong. If you have a sound head on your shoulders, you know what questions to ask and you're able to do the things to get better. And if you take those rest days or decrease that mileage or intensity when needed. So, all right, summarized up <laughs> that training. Um, now let's get into kind of the race itself. 
Hey, everybody, I wanted to take a minute to hear a word from our sponsor, which is Koros. Koros Wearables makes GPS watches that help athletes train to be their best. And they use top-of-the-line hardware with innovative technology to provide endurance athletes with the gear that they need to achieve their goals. When you use a Koros product, you know you're getting a tool that has been designed, tested, and perfected for the athlete by the athlete. And their roster of professional athletes that use their products is quite impressive. Have you heard of Elliot Kipchoge, Emma Bates, Des Linden? I mean, if it's good enough for them... That's what I'm saying. (laughs) Koro's watches allow you to create your own personalized workouts. They allow you to implement your training plan for running, cycling, swimming, and even a strength or core workout at the gym. If you need an extra reminder to properly fuel during your workout, Koros has you covered with the customizable nutrition alerts. So you can basically just have me poke you every 30 to 50 minutes to remind you to take your fuel on the run, which is pretty cool. Koros users have set world records and been to the highest point on earth, pushing their products to the extremes. And at Koros, creation and innovation is never ending. So, you know, if you are wearing a Koros watch, you know that you are going to be the focus as the user. So if you want to be part of the Koros community, by you can follow Koros Global on Facebook or Instagram, or you can ho- head over to the link in my show notes to view some of their various products. I personally have the Koros Apex, which I love. I've had it for, gosh, probably almost a year now. And it's so easy to use. The interface is so pretty. The app is awesome and very easy to use and understand. And I totally love my watch. So I hope you head over to the link in the show notes to check out Koros Global. Now let's get back to today's episode. All right. So going into like the week of the race, um, I would say (laughs) that looking back on like training journals I've kept, I've pretty much always felt like something flares um, during the week of my race. And sometimes it is like a valid thing. And sometimes it's a total like phantom pain, like it's nothing. And I never feel it again. (laughs) So during the week of this race, um, I have a pretty chronic like left side um like hip stability issue on my left side in my low back. I have some nerve pain that comes with it. Um it's it flares when I sit too long. It flares um if I'm not doing my strength training, you know, properly and it flares if I'm anxious. <laughs> so, and sometimes actually it'll flare during the luteal phase of my menstrual cycle as well, which is the phase that I was in in the week before my race. <laughs> so, perfect storm. So I think that flared. Um, I wasn't super worried about it like I have been in the past because again, it's happened pretty much every single time. Um, And sometimes it is something I need to worry about, but usually it's not. Um, So just to be, you know, thorough, I think I booked a an appointment with my person, my massage therapist who does some body work on me occasionally, um, the week of the marathon, who I trust and I know and she helped me with that. And I was like, cool, I did what I had to do felt better about it. It did not bother me at all during the race or after. So that's just kind of typically a little personal anecdote. Maybe that'll help someone if you feel like you have something similar on your body. Um, And my hamstrings, again, they felt great. They felt really great the week of the race and throughout the taper. Um, Didn't have to keep tape on them, like did some of my PT exercise type work for them. And I mean, really, they felt normal. Um, So 
going into wine glass marathon, um, you know, I did my carbo loading, um, which I'm not going to get into here because I have several episodes on, on that topic. Um, but I very, very intentionally and effectively carbo loaded for this race, um, probably better than I ever have, um, in the past. And it led to a PR spoiler alert. (laughs) Um, but looking at the day of the race, so the weather, um, was okay. It was, kind of chilly, um, which we didn't really know it was going to be that way until the day before the race. It was looking like it was actually going to be kind of warm, um, which I was not thrilled about. And um, it ended up being like in the 50s for the most part and just raining. Like it rained for me pretty much until mile 21. Um, Like it rained the whole race (laughs) and my feet will never be the same because of it. Um, But looking at that, you know, the weather, I was like, all right, I can pretty much do what I practiced and I don't need to change anything from a fueling perspective or from a like what I'm going to wear perspective. I think I bought a hat, but that's about it. Um, What I did know, because I track my cycle and this is part of this episode that will be TMI. But um, what I did know is that I was going to get my period probably the day of the marathon. Um, And for me, you know, I know that I've done pretty much all of my training runs on Sundays for long runs. I knew that the race was going to be on a Sunday, which is a long run. And I knew from tracking my cycle, which is super regular and very consistent that I had run several long runs in this context and they had gone great. (laughs) So I wasn't super worried about that. Um, I was more worried that, you know, if, because I was kind of stressed about the race, because let's face it, even though I've done six of these, I still get nerves (laughs) for race day. Um, and just being in a different environment or whatever, I was a little bit more nervous if I was going to have any GI issues and if those were going to be like a wild card. Um, and I was also just trying to plan like logistics around, all right, what do I need to have? You know, what do I need to bring like to the start line? You know, what do I need to have in my pack just in case? Like I need a porta potty halfway through the race, um, you know, from like a tampon perspective. And then, you know, what do I need to have at the finish? What do I need to consider from the logistics of that? Now, I knew because of what, again, what I had experienced in training was that typically if I knew my period was due on Sunday, I did my long run in the morning and it would usually always, I think it always came like later, like later that afternoon. So it was never like, um, it was never like it happened during my run or before my run. And I knew that, you know, typically ladies, if you're listening, like once my period starts, like that's when the cramps kind of start. And that's when, you know, some of the GI distress can start for the first two days for me. That's what it's like. So I was like, "Eh, if it starts like at the start line or before the run, like that might be interesting um, from a GI perspective and from like a crampiness perspective, but I wasn't super worried about that. Um, But what I didn't know is I was like, if it starts, you know, halfway through the race, what do I do? (laughs) Do I stop and try to like, fix myself so that I'm not, you know, a sight to behold when I get to the finish line. Um, You know, what do I do about that? So actually what I ended up doing, and this is not sponsored in any way by them, was I purchased a pair of sport thinks uh, period underwear. Um, And I practiced wearing them during training. They were awesome. So I figured, hey, if it comes like halfway through my marathon, at least I'm covered. I don't have to stop. Um, And that is what I wore for the marathon. And guess what? That is what happened (laughs) during the marathon. So stay tuned for that. Um, So that was some of the planning that went into 
okay, I think my period is going to come on race day. I knew that I was already going to cut out a lot of fiber to properly carbo load. And I also knew that I was going to be really well hydrated because that's another thing we can do to help with getting our period on race day. I knew that I had slept pretty decently that week before. I knew that I was taking my supplements consistently that I take just because of my blood work that I get with inside tracker, like my iron supplement, um, you know, and some other things like that. Is also taking an omega-3 supplement um, that I actually have on my full script account, which you can access at the link in the show notes and get 15, or I'm sorry, get 10% off. Um, but I like the Nordic Naturals brand. So I was taking something that might help with some, you know, inflammation. Um, you know, so I was like, all right, I was taking Epsom salt baths, like was doing all the things that were in my control um, to make sure that this period was like gonna be the best period ever um, if it did come during this marathon. In my head, worst case scenario was that I really didn't want it to come during the race. Um, and guess what? That's exactly what happened. And I still PR'd. So that, you know, worry is totally out of my mind now. Um, but let's get into like what the morning of the race looked like and what the start line looked like. So like maybe 8 p.m. <laughs> the night before the marathon, I learned that there would not be Gatorade endurance on course as I had planned for, um, in my training and what I had trained with and done in pretty much every race up until then. But instead there would be Huma hydration. Um, as you guys may know, I'm a huge fan of Huma products. I use the Huma gels and I was excited to have those as an option on course because they were also going to be providing Huma gels, um, throughout the course, but I had brought my own, you know, just, because <laughs> that's how I am. Um, but I was looking forward to, you know, not having to carry my fluids and using the Gatorade Endurance on course as a source of extra calories, because that does have carbohydrates in it, and my electrolytes. And I had practice with it. And uh, Huma Hydration, um, it's, a, it's a good product, but it doesn't have carbohydrates. It's sweetened with stevia. So while the electrolyte profile was very similar to Gatorade Endurance, um, it just didn't have extra calories. So I was pretty bummed when I heard that, um, especially so close to the race. I was also very bummed that a lot of the volunteers at aid stations were still calling it Gatorade when it was not Gatorade, but I digress. Um, so I went back and forth on whether or not I should carry my fluids. And I decided, you know what, I'll bring a handheld water bottle to the start line. Um, granted, I didn't have any Gatorade endurance on me. I was just gonna maybe throw some water in there um, and do my best to take maybe an extra gel or two throughout the course to get more calories in. And had planned to use my salt stick tabs instead for electrolytes um, since I had also practiced with those. So I had my handheld, my Huma gels, um, which I used the Huma Plus versions that have extra electrolytes. Um, and I alternated between caffeinated and non-caffeinated every other gel throughout the course. And I used my salt tabs and I brought an extra two gels to take um, to get extra calories that I wasn't going to be getting anymore from the lack of Gatorade endurance. And I especially was going to bring my handheld just in case it got warm, um, especially just being at that point in my cycle. I knew being well hydrated was going to be very important. And at the start line, it was not warm. <laughs> um, it was quite chilly. It was raining pretty much the whole time. Um, and I was like, you know, I think I think I'm probably going to end up like with 
numb hands. Um, and if I'm carrying this handheld, I'm not going to be able to rip open my gels as efficiently because that's just something that happens to me when I'm cold. Um, so I opted to leave my handheld at um, the gear check, which I regretted, which I regretted, which I regretted, <laughs> but I digress. So start line was great. Um, you know, got there super early. Um, I had purchased ponchos at Dick's Sporting Goods for myself and my cousin who was with us and my husband who was running his first marathon. So we were very dry, um, despite it raining pretty much for the two hours that we were at the start line. Um, we had been in a tent for a while and then it just got super crowded. So we were outside in the open while it was raining, but stayed pretty dry with the ponchos. Um, and we basically got ready to go. The gun went off. I was like, I had a moment of like, oh my God, I'm doing a race right now. Like it's been two years and with COVID and everything just hadn't been at a start line like that since Chicago 2019. So it had been a very long time and I was very grateful and basically started executing my race plan, which was to go out conservatively um, for the first 10K, probably closer to eight minute per mile pace. And then 10K through half marathon, try to increase that to about 750s, um, you know, minute per mile, just gradually ease into my goal marathon pace, which I had anticipated being in the 740s. Um, and on a great day could have probably managed the 730s because that is what I had practiced in training. That's what had went really, really well in training, felt pretty easy, dare I say, and what a lot of my training indicated. So my goal was eight minute pace miles, first 10K, relax, 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 <laughs> um, you know, start off well hydrated, well fueled, get a little bit quicker per mile through the half and then assess how I felt at the half point and basically execute 740s down to 730s for the second part of the race. That was my plan. So the first like 5k of this race, it was pretty bottlenecked. Um, we were very packed tightly together. There were a lot of potholes in the road and it was raining. So the potholes were filled with puddles. <laughs> um, I definitely stepped in a couple of those, but I was just trying not to roll an ankle. Um, and to stay calm and breathe and just get warm because I had gotten a little chilly standing at the start line after taking my poncho and throwaway clothes off at the last minute. And um, I basically eased right into eight minute pace. Like I was running like 759, 758, 757, 759, um, those types of splits to read off of them directly off of my Strava. I ran 759, 749, slight downhill, 759, 755, 753, 755 for the first 10K. So pretty much like pretty much on pace, maybe a little faster than I had originally planned, but I was feeling okay. To be honest, I don't even remember the first 10K. I just remember trying not to fall down, <laughs> um, trying not to step in too many puddles and trying to take my fuel starting around mile four um, and trying to like not miss the aid stations and just see like what this setup was going to be like. It was raining pretty hard uh, <laughs> and it was pretty boxed in. And around the 10K mark, I remember I was running with, I believe the 7.30 or not the 7.30, Jesus, the, the 3.30, three hour and 30 minute marathon pacer. And I remember thinking to myself, like, this guy's going out a little fast um, for a 3.30 marathoner, but, you know, that's okay. I'll just kind of, like, you know, draft <laughs> off of them a little bit. Um, and then I remember at 10K, it was just so, I was like, I really got to get away from this pace group because it's so crowded because it's a typical, like, BQ 
cut off. So a lot of people tend to run with those pacers. Um, and I just felt super crowded and like I was going to fall down if I missed a step because of how many people there were. So I surged ahead a little bit um, in the next couple of miles just to get away from them um, so that I could run a little bit more freely. So after the first 10K, this is when I start to remember what things felt like because I was running more like on my own and just less, you know, packed in with a crowd and getting nervous about falling down. So at this point in the race too, I noticed that um, one, the aid stations were not every two miles, like they had said they would be on the website. Um, actually, I think I went mile three to mile seven or eight without seeing an aid station. And like, I was by myself at that point. So it's not like I missed it. You know, um, they weren't, they, they, you know, weren't very easy to miss. Like they're pretty obvious when you're coming up on one. Um, so I was starting to get concerned <laughs> because my mouth felt kind of dry and I was like, I cannot be missing my hydration, you know, this early in the race. Like I was one thing to not have Gatorade endurance, but like now I don't even have water. And I started to regret my decision to not carry my handheld. Um, because while I definitely wasn't warm at all, my hands were actually pretty numb as I would have predicted. Um, I was thirsty. So I was starting to panic a little bit about that, but tried to just stay on course of taking my gels, um, which also wasn't great because I wanted to take those with water, but I digress. It worked out okay. So I started to panic a little bit, but miles seven through 13, um, I ran 752, 753, 751, 748, 749, 752, and 748. And I don't remember, guys. I had stopped looking at my watch. I wasn't looking at my watch at this point. I was just trying to stay calm and come up with a plan on how I was going to stay hydrated. <laughs> um, and at this point of the race, too, I had started to notice some slight tightness, like like it just wasn't extending all the way in my right hip flexor and adductor. So the one of the muscles on the inside of my inner thigh, and then my like psoas hip flexor. So I started to notice some tightness, like I felt like I couldn't quite bring my knee up as high as I was on my other side, because of the tightness. And I thought, that's weird. It's literally never bothered me before, like ever. So I kind of thought that was weird. Um, but I kept going, try not to panic and was like, it's really not that bad. Like maybe it'll pass. Um, and, and it did pass, but what I now think happened is that, you know, again, I was maybe slightly non-optimally hydrated because of the aid station situation and my decision to not bring a handheld. And also I started to notice some cramping on, you know, my lower abdomen and it was starting to travel down my, the front of my legs. So ladies listening to this, you know what I'm talking about. Um, I was starting to feel like, you know, I think I'm getting my period like right now. Excellent. Uh, exactly what I kind of didn't want to happen timing wise, but also worst case scenario, what I did plan for <laughs> in terms of wearing the thanks underwear. So I was like, you know, maybe, maybe my right side started cramping up a little bit because of all of that, because just not being quite hydrated, it was pretty chilly and damp just with the weather and the rain. I was wearing shorts and also cramp started, which, you know, just kind of shorten all your muscles up. Um, so <laughs> around mile 10 through 13, I do remember starting to panic a little bit and be like, what do I do about this? Like, what if this gets worse? Like I'd started to have some like stomach churning a little bit feeling. Um, it wasn't bad, but I do remember starting to feel that way. And I just remember thinking like at these aid stations, as they come, I need to be taking like triple the amount of water 
and really making sure I'm getting it into my mouth. <laughs> so by the halfway point, I had definitely started to do that. I would kind of run slower through the aid station so that I could get a cut from the first volunteer I saw, you know, slam it basically in my mouth, get a cut from the second volunteer that I saw slam it in my mouth, and then get a cut from the third volunteer if I made it, you know, through they're pretty short aid stations, you know, so I made it through. And I would try to sip that one for the next like five minutes or so. So I was starting to catch up on my hydration. Of course, I wasn't getting all of it in my mouth. So I was getting a little bit colder <laughs> as well. Um, and the cramping continued. Um, and then eventually, my right hip flexor stopped bothering me. So that did pass. But my right hamstring did start to get chatty. So it started to feel like is it going to pull? Is it going to seize up on me? Is it going to cramp? Like right what it feels like before it does those extreme things, probably throughout the rest of the marathon. So it started around mile like 13 or so, which is when I noticed like the tightness and seizing in my like hip flexor kind of moved to my right hamstring. And that makes sense, right? If I was running maybe slightly off of my normal like um, cadence, you know, if my hip flexor was bothering me a little bit, it makes sense that, you know, to compensate for that, my hamstring would eventually bother me. So I wasn't like shocked by this. I was just annoyed because my hamstrings had been behaving very nicely. Um, you know, for the past three weeks, I had done everything I was supposed to do. And I felt like it probably started to bother me because of the cramping and then because of the lack of hydration to help with that. And then because of the slight compensation. So that was kind of a bummer. But I was thinking too, I was very alone at this point during the race, like miles 13, through 20, uh, were, were dark miles for me. <laughs> um, I was alone for a lot of the race. I was thinking to myself, I don't really feel that great right now. Like it's starting to feel hard. I don't know what's going to happen with this hamstring. Like if it pulls, I'm totally dropping out. Like it's not worth it to me to run the rest of a marathon on a pulled hamstring. Like I'm not doing that. Um, like I've, I've read that book before. I don't need to do that. <laughs> um, so I was also like, how do I drop out of this race? You know, I remember that crossing my mind because it was very rural. Um, there would be these signs that were like med tent one mile ahead. And I was thinking if it pulls like a mile is pretty far, <laughs> you know, if it pulls on me, I'm going to have to like ask someone to go ahead for help. Like I just, you know, was going through those thought processes at the same time, my stomach was kind of churning a little bit and I was just trying to take it mile by mile. I remember I kept saying, you know, just stay within yourself, Holly, like, don't worry about your pace, like just stay within yourself. Don't push the pace, like don't push your hamstring, just like stay, stay, <laughs> stay here and keep moving forward and try to really get enough fluids and, you know, keep up with your nutrition and everything. So miles 13 through 20 to read those splits, 748, 753, 802, 802, 752, 758, 758, 8. So I remember I didn't look at my watch at all through those miles because I was just trying to survive. Like I didn't know if I was going to finish the race. And in my head, you know, I was moving forward, but I felt like I'd slowed down a lot and, and I had slowed down a little bit, but it really wasn't a lot. Um, it wasn't as much as I thought it was. So I think I looked at my watch around mile 18 or 19 and I was, I still saw like a seven in front and I was like, oh, okay. Like I'm, you know, I'm still in the game. Like I'm not doing bad. This is just a, this is a hard day. <laughs> this is a bad day for me. Um, it's not ideal, but like we're doing okay. Um, and then I got to mile 20 and my right hamstring never pulled, but it kind of stayed. And I remember at mile 20 thinking, you know, I think it's going to stay. Like, I don't think it's going to get worse. And I think I'm going to be okay. I think I'm going to be able to finish this race. Um, I had seen, 
you know, more crowds of people too. It wasn't as rural. So I was a little relieved with that. I was still doing a great job at taking like three cups at every water station, taking my salt pills also, which had fallen totally. Like I tried to get one out of the thing that I was using to carry them and they all fell out on the ground. So I had lost my salt pills (laughs) um, around mile 20 of the race, but I wasn't too worried about that because I knew if I, if I had to, I could take the Huma hydration. I had electrolytes in my gels. Um, so I was okay with, with that, but you know, I was trying to be really good about getting fluids. So, you know, every water stop, I was taking three cups of fluid. Um, around mile 20 or 21, I saw one of my friends on course, um, who I actually met through social media. Um, shout out to Stevie, um, from Inside Tracker. You guys may know her. She's another dietitian friend of mine. Um, I saw her and her dog jumping up and down, screaming at mile 21. Um, I had actually run with one of her friends who was running the race for pretty much the whole race. Um, and I didn't know her, but she just, we happened to be basically running together. So um, I got to see Stevie because she was waiting for her friend. And then she happened to see me too. And that was like, the total boost that I needed at that point in the race to be like, all right, like Holly, like, let's, let's go. Like, you feel pretty good. This is the last 10 K of this race that you've been training for. You've overcome so much throughout your cycle and your training cycle (laughs) puns. Um, like let's, let's go, like, let's go. I think you're going to be okay. Um, so the, the last 10 K of this race, I was able to, really do well. Like I was able to do well. Um, again, I was, I was able to finish strong and finish fast. Um, it felt, it felt the best. I felt the best in the last 10 K of this marathon uh, than the entire marathon. Um, it was the best I felt in the last 10 K and I can attribute that to carbo loading. Cause it means I still have glycogen stores left over. I can attribute that to trying to make up for a lost hydration and doing a good job with that and staying really on top of my nutrition. And thank goodness I packed those extra gels because I use them. Um, I think I took seven gels throughout this entire race. Typically I would take five and use a lot of like the Gatorade endurance for extra calories, but I took seven gels and again, probably could have used more, (laughs) but I attribute carbo loading and that to, and and my training, of course, you know, to why I felt so good the last 10 K of this race with my friend being a huge catalyst for, uh, that mindset shift. Um, so mile 20 through 26.2, um, I ran an eight minute mile for 20. Then I saw my friend and I ran a 748, 745, 749, 803, mile 24 was rough. I swear they make those miles longer as the the last 10K of the race progresses. Um, mile 25 was a 756, just hang on. And then mile 26 was a 741, which was my fastest mile split for the whole race. And 26.4, which really was 0.2, um, was a 705 minute pace. So like I did good. I finished really strong. Um, I remember the terrain had changed quite a bit from like long sweeping rural roads, which were really quite beautiful. It was similar to where I did all of my training. Um, and it was a net downhill course. I wouldn't say it was like super downhill, um, but it was definitely a, a faster course. Like there were some hills, but there were also downhills um, with a lot of flat, like rolling, you know, roads in between. The last part of the course, um, it changed a little bit. There were more turns. There was just, I don't know, there was more to distract me, which I appreciated (laughs) at that point. Um, So I really just tried to be good about slamming water, taking my gels. Um, I'm pretty sure the last gel I took was at mile 24 or mile 25 because I was like, you just need to get as much in you as you can. 
at this point, my hamstring was, it was fine. Like it wasn't, it was there, but I knew it wasn't going to get worse. Um, I think again, the hydration catching up with that, I think that helped. Um, some of the cramping from my period had subsided. Um, so I kind of forgot a little bit about that. My right hip flexor was feeling fine and my gut had actually been it stabilized. I think again, because I caught up on my hydration, I think it was okay. (laughs) Um, And the sun actually started to come out and it started to get kind of toasty in the last 5k of this race. So pretty much rained until mile 21 for me. And then the sun came out and that's both figuratively and literally. (laughs) The finisher shoe of the wine glass marathon is probably almost a quarter of a mile long. Um, It was pretty cool. There are a lot of spectators. You can see the finish line. It seemed really far away, but I remember sprinting through I started my kick a little early and then I got like halfway there and I was like, oh my God, still so far. And then I kind of had a second surge. Um, But yeah, I crossed the finish line. I really had no idea what my time was. I saw, I think, 727 or 728 or something on the clock. And I remember thinking, wow, like I think I might have still just PR'd or ran basically my PR from the Chicago Marathon in 2019 where I ran, I believe, a 328 42, 45, 40, something like that. Um, very different races, by the way, um, which I'll get into. But um, yeah, I remember thinking, holy moly, like I think I still ran a PR, but I am really glad that's over. Um, Meb Kofleski gave me a fist bump and handed me my medal, the finish line. And I instantly was like, wow, that was amazing. Like it was worth it just for that moment. Um, and he told me I did a good job. So, like, Meb, if you're listening to the Fit Cookie Nutrition podcast, Thank you. <laughs> um, and then I heard my name being screamed and I looked over and saw Megan uh, Featherston from Featherstone Nutrition, if you follow her on Instagram. And she said she also had a very similar day, kind of a rough day, but PR'd by a few seconds. So congrats, Megan. Um, and I really, yeah, it was really cool to see some dietitian friends I had made online at um, at the race, which was amazing. So yeah, and I remember thinking, you know, at parts, like the hard parts of the race, I remember thinking like, I've had, I've had tough marathons before when I ran the Philadelphia marathon in 2018. Um, I just, I had a really tough day. I went out again on pace to do what I trained for. And it just turned out to not be where my fitness was at that day. So that translated into going out too fast. And I kind of started to blow up, but pulled back enough. So I never actually blew up in the last half of the race. And it was just like a tooth and nail struggle for the entire race. And I ended up finishing, I think in like a, like 337, like I had finished three minutes or four minutes over my PR at the time. And I was like, pretty proud of that. Cause it was just a rough day. I remember thinking during that race, like, I really need a break from marathons. Like, I really don't want to do this distance that much anymore. Um, And obviously have rebounded from that mindset since then. But even during this race, I remember thinking, this is a hard day. But like, I still can't wait to do this again, which is a good mindset shift to have. Like, I just recognized pretty early on that it wasn't going to be like the day I had in the Chicago Marathon in 2019, where I had a little bit of a bumpy peak and taper in my training cycle because of ironically a hamstring strain, which was a lot more severe um, because I did all the wrong things for it at the time Um, and just didn't have the confidence. And I just had a great race day. Like that entire race, I was floating, like everything went perfect. And the last 10K, I was able to basically sprint it in and like, it was just a really good day. Um, similar to my watch didn't work that day. So, um, there's typically that's the case at the Chicago marathon because of the buildings and all the GPS. Um, 
and I still ran off field and I just had a really good day. So I knew pretty much by mile 10 of this race, I was like, this is not one of those days. This is going to be a bit harder and pretty much things are going to go wrong and you're just going to have to troubleshoot and keep moving forward. So, um, you know, I, I had thought many times during this race that I would drop out because of hamstring or because, you know, if I had like a lot of GI distress and it, it was just going to keep getting worse type thing. Like I wasn't out there to just like struggle bus to the finish. Like it just wasn't going to be worth it to me to do that. Um, but I was really proud of myself for continuing to stay present and continuing to troubleshoot with the cards I was dealt and ultimately still finish with a PR, even though it wasn't quite the time that I trained for. It was one I was super proud of. And I will say it was very satisfying that instead of running like, you know, I, I, ran a 42 second PR. So, you know, I ran a 328.40 at the Chicago marathon. And then I ran a 327.58 at this marathon. And it was real satisfying that at least I could say I dropped like a minute, you know, off of the clock. <laughs> um, 328 to a 327. So that was satisfying. But what was even better, um, and things I thought about too during the marathon. So my husband was running his first marathon, um, and he was anticipating, you know, he had a good training cycle. He had a bit of, um, discomfort come up in one of his legs, um, during the taper, but he kind of managed, but he had been planning to finish, you know, hopefully under four hours. And then I had my cousin, um, behind him who was hoping to finish, you know, just finish was her, was her goal. She had a bit of a bumpy training cycle as well. Um, so I also was thinking, you know, maybe I'll just slow down and then I could run with like one of them and help them, you know, finish the race. Or maybe I can just like feed off of the energy of other runners and try and help other people have good races. Like I just started to think about that. So there are a lot of things that helped me keep moving, but I was really happy and proud of myself that I really held on to like a goal, then B goal, then C goal, and just kind of, you know, took the cards that I was dealt and made the best of them for that day, even though it wasn't quite what I wanted. Um, and what was really cool was I did cross the finish line and, you know, I talked to Megan for a minute and then I pretty much quickly was like, all right, like I want to go watch my husband cross the finish line. I have no idea how far behind me he is. Um, so I ended up starting to like walk to get my bag from gear check and it turned out to be kind of far away. And I was, you know, hobbling cause I just ran a marathon and it was cold. And I ended up like jogging back to the finisher shoot. And I was like shocked that I could jog. Um, and I watched him finish and, you know, that was awesome. He, he was really proud of himself and I was proud of him. Connor finished in a 354, which is amazing. First marathon. Oh my goodness. Um, and he had this similar training cycle to me cause we were both traveling a lot and both got, you know, some sniffles and stuff. So essentially, um, you know, watching him and then eventually my cousin Kate crossed the finish lines. Um, we finished, we, you know, I also remember too, when I, when I finished, I had been talking to Megan on the sidelines cause she finished like way sooner than me. I think she ran at two fifty seven. She's a badass. Um, but she let me out of the shoot through the gate. So <laughs> I remember after I was done talking to her, I had seen the volunteers handing out like chocolate milks. And I was like, Ooh, I wish I grabbed one of those when I was still like in the shoot. I really, really like I'm hungry. Like I could eat something right now, which has never occurred to me after a marathon. Um, which again is a product of training my gut, practicing my fueling strategy and getting really just like second nature at this, which has taken me six marathons <laughs> to do. I will say my last marathon at Chicago, um, 
I had run a, I had run a marathon between the two, but it was just an easy run. It was for my birthday and it was like solo basically, um, around neighborhoods by me. So in the middle of the summer, so it was really hot. So I don't quite count that. I count it as a marathon distance, but not as like a me implementing a training cycle or fueling plan. Cause I honestly didn't do much of that for that one, but I will say me having an appetite at the finish line of this race, me being able to catch up on hydration and, you know, take more gels and, you know, have some of that feeling in my gut, like things were going to turn, but then have it not amount to anything. Um, all of that's a result of practice, 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 practice with my fueling. Um, this is one of the first races too, that I absolutely did not allow myself to run anything fasted. Um, even if it was like a four mile easy run, you know, and I didn't have time to eat, I still drank something. I still ate something. Um, you know, and I really practiced my fueling strategy and I practiced taking in practicing, taking in as many calories as possible that I could tolerate on runs. So, and like, I'm not going to lie to you. It ended in some bathroom stops during training. It ended in some gut distress during training. It ended in me choking things down because I so didn't want to take them. <laughs> um, and it paid off because at the end of this race, I was hungry. <laughs> so I remember I was staring at one of the volunteers in the finisher shoot, hoping to make eye contact with her until I finally did. And then I was like, can I please have a chocolate milk? And then she brought me over one and I chugged it. And it was great. Um, and I started eating pretty much as soon as everyone had finished, um, had a full meal, had, I think something from the tent, it was like pizza or something, went to the stretching tent and had them work on my hamstring. Cause I just knew I needed to start looking at that immediately because I was like, this is probably going to be a problem after in recovery, but that's okay. I don't think it's going to be a significant problem. It's just going to be something that I have to make sure I pay attention to. So I did that, which I highly recommend. Um, if you can move around after a marathon, like if you can walk, if you can, you know, lightly, gently, you know, stretch or add some mobility, um, it's just going to help you recover, um, on top of eating, of course, and rehydrating. So did that, um, ate a lot <laughs> that night, slept a lot, actually slept pretty good. Um, usually I don't sleep that well after marathons because of all the adrenaline and maybe caffeine in my gels and, you know, dehydration and whatnot. But honestly, I slept great. And the next day, you know, we had to drive seven hours home. So that definitely didn't help. And I will say I was, I felt pretty good the rest of the week. I was tired, you know, I recovered, I didn't really do anything um, taxing. And I also knew that we were going to have to move all of our furniture out of our house over the weekend so that we could get our floors refinished. So I definitely didn't want to hurt myself. And I wanted to be able bodied for that because it was all up to us um, to do that. So I took it super easy. And I will say like, I felt pretty good throughout the week. I didn't feel quite as winded as I usually do when I do a race all out, which tells me that there was definitely more in the tank. But what I will say is my legs have never been that sore for that long after a marathon. And I think that's just because of all the cramping and seizing that was kind of happening during the race and the dampness. Um, because that was usually I feel pretty good by Wednesday after a Sunday race, but I, w I was feeling it till like Friday or Saturday, <laughs> like it was a long time. Um, and I also think it's because sitting in the car for seven hours after a race is not helpful. Although I have done that before. Um, so, you know, I think a little bit of downhill, a little bit of dehydration, lots of cramping. I think that all just didn't help me that much. Um, but I'm feeling good now. Three, three and a half weeks, three weeks later, something like that. 
um, and have gotten back to running and have addressed my hamstring and everything's going in the right direction. So um, I really hope you guys enjoyed this recap. Um, if you have any questions about my experience, if you're thinking about doing wine glass, um, this is not sponsored in any way by them. It was a really well run small marathon. There were probably about 2,500 runners. Um, it was very well organized. The course was very beautiful, um, even though it was raining. <laughs> um, and even though it was raining, you know, it was still pretty cool out. So like it was still decent conditions to run fast. It wasn't like it was super hot. Um, and the volunteers were awesome. And I was just disappointed in them changing their hydration, <laughs> um, you know, source uh, so quickly before the race. I missed the memo if they gave us one. Um, and I was a bit disappointed in the aid stations just not being where they said they were going to be. Some of them were. A lot of them were where they said they were going to be, but there were a couple that were just like missing. <laughs> so I was a bit disappointed in that. Um, but other than that, really nice race. Um, definitely, you know, there's some crowd support in the small towns, but you are, you know, kind of just with other runners for the most part. So it depends on the kind of vibe you're going for. Um, what I learned about myself during this race is that, you know, in the future, um, if I'm going to take the time to train for a marathon, because they really do take a lot out of me, <laughs> you know, they take a lot out of my life because they're hard to train for, for me, just with the time commitments I currently have, um, and are just hard to recover from. So what I learned for myself is in the future, if I'm going to sign up for a marathon, I'm probably going to go to like a big city or something with a lot of crowd support. And just because of the ease, also like a lot of aid stations that are like a mile or two apart, just so I don't have to carry anything. Cause I just, I find that, you know, I'm high maintenance when it comes to that. <laughs> I could very much carry things if I wanted to, but if I'm going for a PR at a marathon, lots of crowd support, scream tunnel the whole way. And like aid stations every mile or two are the way to go for me. So um, I probably will go back to like Philadelphia or Chicago, Boston, obviously got another BQ. So one day, you know, maybe my buffer will be big enough for them to let me in. But until then, the goal is to keep getting faster anyway. So those goals will line up eventually at the same time. Um, you, you know, New York City, Indianapolis, those types of races will probably be where I go for marathon PR efforts in the future. But Wine Glass was a great race. Um, for half marathons, they did have a half marathon, though, you know, that would be an excellent course. I don't care that much about those things when it comes to a half marathon. Um, but I hope you guys enjoyed this recap. Thank you to Coro so much for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Make sure, you know, you check out the link in the show notes to, um, you know, look up their watches and you can use the code FITCOOKYNUTRITION at checkout to get yourself a free little accessory with your purchase. I used my Coros watch for this race and it worked perfect. I used it for training and base training and everything up until then. And it was just really awesome to have. Um, I absolutely love my Coros watch and, you know, can't see myself getting anything else in the future. Um, so if you're interested in learning more about that, or if you're in the market for a new running watch, um, or just fitness watch in general that tracks a lot of different things, um, make sure you head over to the link in the show notes. But until next time, guys, happy running or happy recovery. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.